With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. My number one focus and the staff focus is the boys, is the players. That we make sure that they're okay. I appreciate Trev and administration for showing faith in me to lead the program. This is about Nebraska football. It's bigger than me than anyone else. And I want y'all to understand that. It's bigger than me than anyone else. I want to thank the fans for continuing to support us and, and to ride with us and to stay with us through thick and thin. You, they, they've done that. I want you to know this a uh, a great opportunity for me and my family. We understand that. We're here to represent the University of Nebraska to the fullest. We are back, Husker fans, with another episode of Generation Red, a kettle corn of Husker fan podcasts. Uh, Because, you know, we might be sweet most of the time, but sometimes we're going to get a little bit salty. And I think Nebraska just hired a fairly salty interim head coach in former quarterback Mickey Joseph. You just saw him a few seconds ago in his introductory comments at his... uh, press conference this morning and um or yeah it was about 11 30 this morning i missed it i happened to catch it an hour or so later uh some incredible statements that he made throughout the conference we're going to share some of those with you tonight i am your host ken and i am the <laughs> other one known as scott yeah the other host scott that's right uh this has been an interesting day seeing mickey take the podium as an interim head coach was a little different than watching him sit around a round table with a bunch of uh, reporters when he was first introduced as the associate head coach slash wide receivers coach slash passing game coordinator. A lot of damn titles and uh, was a lot of responsibility. And clearly he had been living up to those responsibilities because Trev felt more confident to put Mickey in charge than somebody like Mark Whipple, who's been a head coach multiple places um, in college football. So Mickey made his statement for his role as the head coach uh, going through the rest of the season. Tonight, we will be looking back at some of the comments he made during his press conference, and we will also take a look at the OU game coming up on Saturday, or as I like to call it, Mickey's Revenge from the Sidelines, because most of us Husker fans know that the reason he doesn't play football anymore is thanks to OU and a cheap shot shove into the bench in his senior season against Oklahoma that day. So uh, I doubt he's ever going to mention it, at least not publicly, other than his introductory conference where he kind of referred to it. But um, who knows? There might be a couple of press clippings taped to some mirrors in the locker room on game day. You never know. 
<laughs> I wouldn't put it past him to remind his team that the reason he's got scars on his knees is because of the guys they're going to face this coming Saturday. Um, so anyway, Scott, uh, just some quick overall impressions of what you thought and how you thought Mickey did at his press conference today. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, overall thoughts was I was impressed. Um, mm-hmm. The way he conducted himself, his demeanor, how he didn't make any rough and fluff, and he just got straight to the point with any question that he was asked um, and didn't fall prey to any of the trap questions that he was asked. Um, Yeah, he handled it really well. He handled it really well. uh, Very calm, collected, not over the top wasn't trying to make any bold statements or anything. He was, he resonated with Husker nation in his uh, press conference. And especially in those comments that he just made about, you know, the fan base, you know, we've been Mm -hmm. through thick or thin together Mm -hmm. and that his job as the head coach right now is to do his best to try and make right a few wrongs that we've experienced. Um, Paraphrasing of course, but that's essentially what I got from his press conference, which, of course, we're going to go into more clips um, here. Sure. We've got a, quite a few of them, and it's going to be fun to discuss them. But my overall impression is I like the guy, and I really hope that it works out for him in the long run. That was my impression, too. I thought he was composed, um, very straightforward and to the point, and gloriously and perfectly unpolished. (laughs) I love that about him. I I love the fact that, and to be completely transparent, Scott Frost was about as unpolished as anybody could be in front of the media, but he also had a lot of bravado and uh, some saw it as arrogance, including myself as I've looked back on things where I said, I didn't sense that Mickey. I sensed that in a guy that understands the weight of the responsibility that he has been laid on him. Uh, when he said right from the beginning, there's uh, this place is so much more important than I am. Uh, that that's huge. That speaks volumes. Um, so not that Scott didn't believe that, but uh, I thought it was really, really poignant the way he answered a lot of the questions, especially some of the clips we're going to show here in a little bit were pretty cool. So for any of you who are watching that did not catch his press conference, most of the most important things that he said during the conference, we are going to share those with you, not necessarily the question, but we'll at least give you uh, what the information was he was given before he made his answer. So I think we should just go ahead and move right into uh, probably the most important question which was right from the get-go after Scott Frost was fired, talked to his team, left the locker room. What was Mickey's message to the team? And this is what he said. And my message to the team was, I know you're hurting. Frost is like a brother to me. He gave me an opportunity to come here and coach at my alma mater, coach at the University of Nebraska. I would always love him and always appreciate him. I was always respect him. The kids would always love him. But I know they were hurting. But at the end of the day, it's gonna that ball's gonna kick off on Saturday. So mentally, we had to get them back and get them ready. Absolutely, uh, 
you, you can't state it more cleaning, cleanly or more plainly than that, that uh, he loved Scott Frost, loved the fact that he brought him back here. I mean, we go back to statements we'd heard via the grapevine weeks ago or months ago back when um, they first won the national championship at LSU. And Mickey and Bill Bush were off in a corner going, oh, man, can you imagine if we could go back and do this at Nebraska? Mickey's got a shot. Maybe not a national championship. Probably not a shot at a national championship this year. But he's got a shot to make his statement as a, as to having the right to be the head coach at Nebraska over the next nine games. Yeah, 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 I thought yeah. it was pretty cool. What did you think of that message he gave his team? I, I thought it was, like I said a few moments ago, short, sweet, to the point, didn't really mess around. Mm-hmm. It was as concise as could be. And I think that's the proper message you give to your guys is there is no bad blood between me and Frost. There, you know, I love mm-hmm. this guy. Nebraska loves this guy. It just didn't work out. And now our sights are set on a different goal as yep. soon as this conversation is over. Yep. Which you may or may not have uh, the clips. I didn't preview these clips. My dad did all of the work on getting the clips together. I don't know if this is mentioned in one of his clips, but he does talk about the fact that we are moving forward today. Like mm-hmm. we are focused on OU. The yep. the the new coach thing that's as of right now important. But as soon as this as soon as this conversation's over, we are focused on OU. Um, yep, and I think he talks about that in one of these clips coming up. So yeah. Okay. Absolutely. No, the, the other thing that I did notice, I couldn't help, I couldn't help but notice this and kind of laugh, um, is you could tell that he has been given a crash course on how to stand at a podium in front of a crowd. Um, because if you watch him, (laughs) you can tell he is making conscious effort look right. Look, look left. left. <laughs> look right. Look left. And, <laughs> and just keep keep uh, oscillating the room here. Um, mm-hmm. it, that was just one thing. Obviously, listeners of the podcast, you know, you can go onto our YouTube channel and you can check out the, you can rewatch this live stream and, and get an idea of what I'm talking about, especially if you haven't seen yeah. the press conference. But <laughs> it is very funny to see because I've gotten those, you know, crash courses before when I had to do public speaking. Mm-hmm. And it is, it is one of those things where it's like just practice <laughs> looking left to right to where it just becomes, you know, yep automatic and, and you don't lose your train of thought. And that was just, just a little funny. That was just a little funny that I noticed. Cause he, you can tell he mm-hmm. is, he is very, he's been, yeah, <laughs> he's been schooled a little bit. Yep. Yes. Yep. Yep. Um, <laughs> well then shortly after that, after specifically speaking about the message to his team, he was asking an interesting question. It's one that's normal, right? At, at universities that have not um, hired or employed, those of African-American descent in in the coaching ranks before. And he was asked specifically about being an African-American coach or the first African-American head coach in Nebraska history. And uh, this was Mickey's response. I found it quite um, different. Like I said, it's about Nebraska football. It's bigger than me. I haven't really thought about that. Because I, I've been a football coach, I've been a black football coach all my life, but I haven't thought about that. I was, I'm more concerned about the boys and getting the boys ready to play on Saturday. It's bigger than me. 
Absolutely. Uh, because this isn't about him. It's not about skin tone. It's not about fitting a specific demographic and making them happy. It's about making sure that the kids in the locker room have the best leader in place to lead them. And obviously, Trev didn't see skin color. He saw a leader. And he said, that needs to be my leader. And I've said this on Twitter. I don't know if I've said this on this podcast, and I will say it very plainly. I do not believe that Scott Frost gave Mickey Joseph the associate head coach title when he was hired. I believe that was Trev Alberts doing. I believe he knew that this guy was kind of a dead man walking, as we talked about before we got on live, Scott, that he thought that we need to make sure that everybody in Husker Nation knows that Scott Frost is not going to get the job done, which absolutely breaks my heart to my core watching that kid play back in the day in Wood River and seeing the tenacity. It was so difficult to see that he couldn't get it done. But that the fact that I think Mickey Joseph was the associate head coach because that's what Trev wanted, because that's who was going to have to step in once the thing started imploding. And I think it imploded a little sooner than what Trev thought it was going to. But yeah, I thought his response was absolutely appropriate and perfectly stated. What did you think? Yeah, um, perfectly stated. Wonderful. It brings everybody together. He's not yep. alienating any any specifically ideological group of individuals. Um, I think it was a very uh, uniting statement to make. Um, and one of the things that I thought was really interesting and to I kind of I accidentally prefaced it when I had mentioned his uh, automation of looking at the room from left to right. One of the things that I've always found very interesting and I've watched tons and tons of documentaries and, and uh, YouTube videos about it is body language mm -hmm. um, and being able to tell when somebody's telling the truth or when somebody's trying to say something that they are, you know, are told to say. And I saw a bunch of people on YouTube and on um, uh, Twitter making comments about, oh, he just said that to appease a certain group of uh, Husker fans. And you can look at his body language. You can tell he looks in an upward direction. People that look in upward directions are actually looking for their own thoughts, not a thought that they were told to think. Sure, and so exactly. any of the people out there that think that he just made that statement to appease a certain idea, ideology of Husker fans. No, that's, that's what Mickey Joseph believes. You can tell by his body language. You can tell by the way he smiles a little bit. You can tell by the sure. way that he yeah. conducts himself. That is what Mickey Joseph be believes. And you don't have to insert your ideology onto that. And I don't mean to make this a little bit kind of political. I'm just stating facts here. Now, it's subject to interpretation, I'm sure. But sure. I loved it. The way he handled it, perfect, especially and. Mm -hmm. in, in, in his specific circumstance of being an interim head coach, pressure is on. Sure. You got to say the right things. And he definitely did. And I think he believed them too. So just had absolutely. To you know, I completely agree with you because I think the fact that he said, I didn't even think about that. And then the next statement he said was, well, I've been a football coach. And then he had to qualify. Well, I've been a black football coach for many, many years. Yep. He just sees himself as a football coach as a man who leads young men, regardless of race, color, creed, or sexual identity, or any of that kind of crap. 
He's just a coach. That's how he sees himself. And that's how we should see him. There shouldn't be an identity attached to it. He's Nebraska's coach. That's all the identity he needs. And I think he believes that to his core. Um, so I thought that was a great response. Absolutely loved uh, what he said. Not because yep. I'm a white guy, but just because I'm a football fan and I appreciate a football coach wanting to just be a football coach. And I think that's pretty cool. So, yep. And it reminds me, it reminds me of, of when I was in the Marine Corps, it first thing came first was the uniform that you wore. The, yep. the name that was on your chest, you had your name and you had your affiliation with the United States Marine Corps. That was your identity first Amen. and foremost. And Amen. as a football coach, it's the same thing. You are first and foremost, a football coach. And then underneath that, you are the football coach of the, of the university that you coach for. Sure. Like, yep. Absolutely. It, that's how the hierarchy works. So. Yep. Absolutely. Anyway, awesome. no need to awesome. go too, too deep into that. Um, <laughs> We've got a few more clips to get to. <laughs> yes, we do. One of, the, one of the next questions you affect, I think it was the exactly next question was what does uh, he think needs to happen in order to fix the defense? which obviously after Saturday night and giving up more yards than we've ever given up in Memorial stadium. Um, and the third most yards ever given up in the history of Husker football on the road or at home. And uh, I was going to say, I don't know if you were going to say it. And you're a wide receivers coach. Yeah. How, how are you as a wide receivers coach going to fix the problem of our defense? So, well, he was pretty plain. He was pretty clear. And here it is. Well, I met with Coach, Coach Shins, and um, we're going to play faster. We're going to tackle in practice. We're going to detail what we're doing with our kids. We're going to make our kids hold themselves accountable. And we try to fix the problems. There you go. We're going to try to fix the problems. Uh, namely, you know, we kind of laughed about it while we were filling out the outline earlier, tackling. The first thing you got to fix in this defense is if somebody's in the hole and they get a hold of somebody, that some bitch doesn't go anywhere until help arrives or you get him to the ground. That's it. You've got to fix tackling. And I think he made it really, really clear right from the get-go with Coach Chins, we're tackling in practice. Yeah. And I'm guessing that's every day. None of this mimby pimby crap. You've got a whole bunch of dudes on this team that are really good. They're Division One football players for a reason. So the dude up at the top of the depth chart gets dinged. You're hoping you've developed and, and made guys be good enough that if somebody gets a little bit of a bumper or a bruise and they can't go for a game, hey, you've got two or three dudes right behind them that can, who have also been tackled in practice for the last week. So I think that was pretty yeah. poignant. Um, go ahead. It's, I don't mean to read between the lines here, but that just tells me that we haven't been doing those things. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't have to state that we're going to be tackling in practice unless you haven't been doing that. And then that leads to, to the overall impression that I've had in the last few years with our team is that we just seem to be injury prone. Like mm -hmm. I remember, I remember the Bo Pelini days. I even remember the Mike Riley days. Hell, I even remember the Bill Callahan days. Yes. God, there were, I'm sorry. There, there were injuries. <laughs> there were injuries, but they were so few and far between. I remember them being like, 
a novelty. It was like, oh my gosh, Meredith is mm-hmm. down, or oh my goodness, David is down. Like, right? Whole, holy crap! Went like I was not expecting this. I feel like in the Frost era, it happens every other game. Somebody's falling down, and they're actually hurt. They're they're not just cramp. They're like other teams. I see cramps, and then they're back and ready to go. You know, maybe they have one or two season-ending injuries, but I feel like. In the frost era, we've just been plagued with injuries. And that goes with a fundamental practice style of you have to practice like you play. And if you aren't practicing with tackling and physicality yeah. to that degree, yeah. then no wonder why we've been getting injured left and right. I don't know if you listened. I, uh, the Husker Doc Talk podcast, Dr. Rob has talked about that numerous times, about the, the importance of physicality and practice because it prepares your body. Your body gets used to getting smacked around. Those muscles get stronger. Those joints get stronger. All those things repair themselves better the next day to where once you get in the game, hell, that's not a big deal. you yeah. know. Um, and in fact, like he said, practices at Nebraska were way tougher than most of the games they played every year, especially in the Big Eight. So getting those bodies conditioned to get knocked around was really, really important. So I think Mickey Joseph understands that. I think Chins, to his credit, probably has never said what he really wanted to say in a press conference, saying, yeah, if we could tackle more in practice, we'd probably be better off because he's a defensive guy. He's going to want his dudes to knock the chocolate out of people in practice, right? Or at least I would hope so. Um, and maybe if you're running three quarter speed practices most of the week and you only have one or two that are full speed, that maybe explains why dudes can't get off blocks like they should. Cause they're just not used yeah. to going full tilt. I don't yeah. know. But, um, anyway, yeah, that was what he said that. about fixing them. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting question was posed to Mickey about what the last 48 hours were like for the players and uh, what he did and how they responded specifically to losing the guy that recruited him, which I thought this was a great response. Like champs. <clears throat> the guy that recruited him st- sat in their living room is no longer there. I'm sure we've all been in that situation before, so understand how you would feel. But they understand that they play for University of Nebraska, and it's time to move on, and it's time to get ready for OU on Saturday. They understand it, but they handle it like champs. They bounce, they bounce back today. They bounced back today. And he also said later in the interview that they did a lot of tackling in practice today. So awesome. Awesome. Yep. I think, um, like you said in our last podcast, that there was a couple of people in the media that had stated that when he was introduced as the interim, that the locker room went nuts. They were so happy that Mickey was going to be the guy. Because um, he, he's a no-nonsense dude. He's intense. He's high energy. He's going to bring that energy to the sideline. We saw on Saturday night while we were there that the energy was basically non-existent until somebody like Marquise Buford made a couple of interceptions. Then it was pretty, it was pretty, bless you. It was pretty uh, energetic then. There was a lot of energy on offense, but that defense just looked beat up and defeated. They just couldn't figure themselves out. So that was interesting response. I thought was, that was very appropriate. Um, How do you think the players, and based on what Mickey said, um, are you are you hopeful coming up to Saturday that in the last 48 hours they've really kind of jumped onto his bandwagon and they want to go and ride or die with Mick? I think, I think so. 
I think mentally, absolutely. I, I think that there's going to be a mentality shift. Um, mm-hmm. Don't know for sure, but I'm pretty positive that there's going to be a mentality shift. Do we actually see results on the field immediately? Probably not. Um, but the mentality is where it starts. That's the foundation that he needs to have his guys start building upon. Um, and if they are locked in yep. and they are, are ready to go, all right. Well, then that sound that seems to me like they're going to be more rubber instead of you know I don't remember how that metaphor goes. Be more like a rubber band and less like a something else. You know, make sure you can bounce back. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't remember what it's comparison to. I probably only heard that metaphor like once or twice in my life. But um, be more like a rubber band. You know, maybe he can. Maybe he can instill that that mentality with his guys. Do I, like I said, do I think I'm going to see it on Saturday? Like a tangible result. We'll see. Not very helpful on that, but I think we'll see differences. I just don't know if it's going to be the difference of winning or losing a game. Um, But yeah, that's, that's pretty much at least against somebody like number six. OU, right. Yeah. Maybe it's a difference against somebody like Indiana, but maybe OU uh, they put up a fight for a while, but um which I think is going to happen, but we'll get to that later. Um, Of course, this is kind of a redundant question in the fact that somebody asked already about the defense earlier in the press conference, and then somebody said, well, what do you think is the number one issue for the Huskers? (laughs) And uh, Mickey just kind of made the typical generic answer that coaches are probably supposed to make, in in my opinion. Not single anybody out. He's not going to call anybody out. He's just going to say, hey, we got to get better everywhere. And this is kind of how he said that. The number one issue the last three weeks, we haven't played well in three phases of, of the game. So now we got to get better on offense, defense, and special teams. That's how you win games. And that's what we have to do. You can't just put it on offense. You can't just put it on the defense. You can't just put it on the special teams. Everybody has to pull on the same side of the rope, and that's what we're gonna. That's what we're gonna continue to 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 um, to talk to the team about and get them to do. Absolutely, and you know what? I've heard Frost say the same thing a few yep. times uh, yep. over the last four or five years, and somehow, what he said versus what happened on the field were disconnected. Where that disconnection happened, I don't know, but there's something about Mickey and the way he talks about those things that makes me think that. Um, that offensive staff, that defensive staff are like, okay, we're kind of coaching for our jobs right now. If we want to keep jobs, we've got to do really well and help Mickey keep his job or at least get a shot at getting that job come 2023. Uh, So I I thought that was an interesting question. The fact that it kind of been covered when somebody asked about the defense, but Mickey kind of gave a global answer and said, everybody's got to be pulling on the same end of the rope, not just the players, obviously, and not just the head coach, but all the guys in those offices, all the graduate assistants, all the trainers, Zach Duvall, everybody's got to be pulling in the same direction. Something tells me the last year and a half or so we haven't been. So I don't know. What are your impressions on what he said? I think you pretty much nailed it is that, there's there's an obvious truth that there's been a lot of pulling in different directions from all three phases of our of our program, especially just collectively in the last four years, going into year mm-hmm. five. 
Um, excuse me. Um, yeah, the, good. <laughs> the other thing that, that I thought was uh, interesting, don't know what I would label this as, but I thought it was particularly interesting that based on how I think Mickey Joseph is as, as a coach is he's going to pat you on the back when you do the right thing, but he is absolutely going to hold you accountable when you do the wrong thing. And mm-hmm. in his position group, I think the way that he tends to coach his wide receivers specifically is that, okay, yeah, you caught that ball. Okay. Yeah. You got a touchdown. Okay. Yeah. That was a great reception. Do more. You got to do better. I want to see, I want to see absolute Mm -hmm. effort until you cannot give anymore. I want to see everything that you can bring to the table. And, and so when he says all three phases need to get better, Technically speaking, yes, our offense right. is the best phase of of the game. But I think Mickey Joseph has higher standards than that. I think he looks at our offense and says, mm-hmm. "Yeah, seven interceptions, not good. Um, sacks, we shouldn't be giving those up. Um, we should have more receptions." You know, Isaiah Garcia, Castaneda. Anthony Grant, having to make his own holes, not good enough. Exactly. Right? It's like yeah. you can look at our offense and say that's that's the bright side, but. If you're an objective person, you're looking at it. Yeah, but it sure. can get better. And so right. when he says that, I think he means it. He's he's like, no, we got to do better in all three phases, hundred percent. And mm-hmm. and and I believe him. I believe him that he believes that. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, <clears throat> after he got done answering that, I don't remember if this was the next question or question or two after that. Somebody and, and I thought it was a great question. Because, hey, why not? Um, how would an offensive-minded coach be able to help hmm. oversee and deal with and understand what's going on on defense? And uh, this is this is how Mickey responded. I thought it was pretty cool, actually, because he's got a couple of you know family members who work on the defensive side of the ball who played on the offensive side of the ball. So he's got a lot of resources. Well, when you're an offensive coach, you better understand defense where they should be. And I always use my brother for example. He was a college quarterback, but he was a defensive back in the NFL. He was a college quarterback. Now he's a DC in the NFL. So you got to know what's going on on the side of the ball. You know where they should be. It's football, guys. It's either four down or three down. It's either two high or one high. It doesn't get any simpler than that. And he kind of did that whole back and forth thing, you know, like the preacher in the church. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm I'm fixing to drop some stuff on you, yo. <laughs> and it was true, though. It was absolutely true. Uh, unless it's not, it's football. You've got four dudes down or three dudes down. You've got two high or one high behind them. And guys behind the line have got to fill in and make the tackles. It's simple. I think in some ways that was kind of a way of Mickey saying, damn, we've made this defensive stuff way more complicated than it needs to be. Let's give these guys the freedom to go get ball, see ball, get ball. And then, um, you know, and I know later in the, in a conference that I didn't, I don't think I got that clip where he talks specifically about <clears throat> having coached Shenander be more focused on the safeties as well oh, as being yeah, DC so that Travis Fisher can be the guy that only handles the quarterbacks. 
I loved the way he said it. He said, there's, there's two, he's, he, Fisher's got two eyes and four DBs. It's hard to see what all four are doing. So it's better to have two eyes on two safeties and two eyes on two corners. And then we're going to be a little bit more efficient. Um, so uh, I thought that was pretty poignant. Um, what did you think? No, you pretty much, you pretty much covered my thoughts on that. It's, I'm sorry. I, I keep mean, doing that to you. I should just no. let you go first. <laughs> Rotate back <laughs> and forth. Yeah. I'm um, just kind of a jerk dad. I have control issues, folks. I'm sorry. I have control issues. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's, I think, I think he was able to kind of bridge that gap for more simpleton minds like myself. Um, sure. Which is, Sometimes I do have to be reminded that, yeah, just because you're an offensive coach or, yeah, just because you're a defensive coach doesn't mean that your responsibility is somehow negated to learn the other side of the football. Of course you have to know that. As an offensive coach, you need to know what's going on in the defense in order to make your offense work efficiently and vice versa. Right. And so him just being able to say that and bring people back down to planet earth, you know, kind of reground them in, 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 uh, coaching fundamentals, you know, that was, that was really nice. That was really nice to hear. 10 years of making a difference. It's an honor to be able to work with team Jack to help tell them my story, to tell them that we need money for cures. And without them, we wouldn't be able to do that. For 10 years, Nebraska has stepped up to fight pediatric brain cancer. And the fight continues later this month. And it's just opening people's eyes to pediatric brain tumor. The 10th annual Team Jack Radiothon, September 29th, all across Nebraska. Anyway, shortly after that last question that Mickey answered, he talked speci- or he was asked specifically about wanting the full-time gig. Um, and I'll include some of the question the person who asked the question which god bless the um, nebraska huskers um media department because you can actually hear the people who are asking the questions on their feed as opposed to all the other places like husker online and whatnot all you hear is mickey's responses on those places so get better damn it on three husker online you know how to do this get better put mics in the room shit um anyway this is uh his response on wanting a full-time job. Trev um, Albertson said the other day that, you know, see how things go, but you very well could be a candidate for the permanent job. Is that something that you want? I think when you accept the interim job as a head coach, I think that's that's the opportunity that you're working for, is to, is to become the head coach. But we understand what goes along with this profession. It's wins and losses, and that's what it's going to depend on. Go ahead. <laughs> I, short, I think that was pretty obvious, right? <laughs> short, short, sweet, and to the point. It's it's yep. wins and losses. That's all that matters. And if I want to keep this job, I got to win games. And and, he, and I think he made it clear. I want it. I didn't yeah. take the interim because I don't. I took the interim because I want to earn the job. And that's yeah. pretty cool. That's some and, ballsy move, man. I love it. And he and he's been coaching for quite some time. And yep. I think that it's because if there's anything I could judge off the top of my head about Mickey Joseph's character is that he respects himself too much to, or not even respects himself. Maybe he downplays himself a little bit too much to think, you know, 
I'm not going to go head coach somewhere just because I think that I have the ego or the bravado to do so. Right. I'm I'm going to wait. I'm going to take my time with it and I'm yeah. going to wait for the right opportunity that that mm-hmm. a door could open for me where I want to be a head coach. Um is this the most ideal situation? No, no, it's definitely not no. an ideal situation to <laughs> adopt a literal dumpster fire. Um Oh, sure. But, yeah. But I mean, it's it's pretty simple. If I win games, I can earn this job. If I lose games, I don't get this job, and that's fine because I think that should be expected for any coach for any reason. Well, I don't think he comes to NU as the wide receivers coach and the um, passing game coordinator and associate head coach if he didn't think he could do the job if it needed to be done. Yep. So in his mind, he's like, oh, yeah, if you're going to name me the interim, I'm going to try to go earn that shit. And I think he's going to do everything he can to earn it uh, because that's who Mickey is an earn it guy always has been. He's short for a quarterback. He had kind of small hands for a quarterback. Nebraska fans used to talk about that crap all the time back when I remember watching him play him, but he always earned the starting job because he was better than the other guys. Maybe he's going to earn this one too, the starting job as head coach, because he's better than the other guys that Trev is going to look at. Because somehow he figures out how to get this team to a bowl game when the golden boy from Florida couldn't figure out how to do it, which still breaks my heart. I thought that was going to happen, but um, God bless Mickey. I love the guy. I love his straightforward attitude. I love the fact that he's unpolished and just doesn't care what people think of him. He cares more about the kids in the locker room and what they think of him than the people in, in, and he doesn't make any rash statements. He just says what he means. And I think based on what I've seen so far, he absolutely means what he says. So somebody asked him about OU and the OU rivalry. Now we all know any of us who have followed Nebraska football for any period of time, unlike Scott, he didn't see the game that, that uh, Mickey got injured in against OU because, well, he was not even quite a twinkle in my eye yet. (laughs) He got shoved on a cheap shot out of bounds play with no flag, by the way. He was like five yards out of bounds and got shoved into a bench. And there was no flag for unnecessary roughness, no, you know, whatever. It just, it was just awful. Tore his knee up, never played football again, as best as I understand. Uh, and he was asked about the OU rivalry, and he kept it absolutely classy. Kind of. Well, you know, I, I played in the Big Eight where we had to face him. We had to face him every year, and it was always a big game. You know, I have um, I have friends over there, you know, and I, I um, they're excited. But um, it means a lot. It means a lot to see OU come in here because, you know, when they went to the Big 12, it kind of, you know, you know, kind of split it a little bit, but it's a it's an exciting time. It just brings back old memories. Brings back old memories. Mm-hmm. Brings back old memories. You done jacked up my knee, people. Brings was, back old memories. Such a such a slide so of hand. Subtle. It was kinda, so subtle. Just kind of slid yeah. it in there. And then the, and then the whole because that was like four years after he was here, five years after he he was here that we we went to the Big Twelve. Because he was like, well, you know, it kind of split it up a little bit. That was kind of his way of saying, 
y'all decided to hitch your damn wagon to Texas and not stay with the rivalry with NU. I think he took that personal. Now, I will be the first to admit I'm reading way deep into his con into his comments, but he's a Husker at heart. He's always been one. So I know whatever he's saying might be extremely measured, but what he's meaning might not be. At least that's that's kind of how I read it. What do you think? No idea. I'm I'm just a child, so I don't <laughs> I don't <laughs> I, you're just going to take it at face value and think, ah, he's not going to be a dick about it, but maybe he yeah. will be. I yeah, I didn't even, I didn't catch that comment until the second time I watched the, 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 the press conference. It was just like, brings back old memories. I was like, uh, oh. okay. Um, did you, mm-hmm. what, did you, did you just mean that as like a, you know, historic rivalry or was it like a lacerations to the knee kind of thing? I don't know. <laughs> Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, but I didn't yeah. read too much into yeah. it. Cause like I said, I'm just, I'm living vicariously out of the, uh, out of the rotation of the universe and my, my birthing into existence. So, sure. um, just, yeah, living vicariously outside of that spectrum of my experience. So yeah, no, I don't, sure. I don't know. And of course, once you got toward the end of the press conference, Mickey had to, of course, be asked about his relationship with Tom Osborne and whether or not he'd been contacted by Tom. Well, since he got named the interim and this is what Mickey said. And God almighty, I love Mickey. It's the first time he freaking smiled in the press conference, which should tell you something about what he feels about Dr. Tom. We visit yesterday. What advice did coach have for you? Well, he still talks to me like I'm a 19 year old, but um, (laughs) that's cool. But um, you know, he, he he gave me good advice that he believes in what 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 I'm gonna do and and um, you know, and and discuss what what he thinks we need to do. And I don't think I need to go into that what our conversation was about. But um, he still believes in Nebraska football, and you know, and and he's a still he's still a, a wise guy. He's still a wise. He's really wise. His wisdom is still there. So it's good. It was good to t- talk to him yesterday, and and, I, and I'll do that weekly with him. Okay, wait a minute. Wait a minute. He just said he's still a wise guy. He's a wise guy, huh? Is he like connected to Chicago? See, know. yeah, you're definitely reading too much into it. Yeah, maybe I'm reading a little more than I should into that, but he's still a wise guy. <laughs> that cracked yeah. me up. That cracked me up because he so quickly corrected himself. Oh, shoot. That would sound wrong to a lot of people. Uh, but yeah, that that was pretty that was pretty he still talks to me like I'm a 19-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, shoot. I still talk to you that way sometimes, so I guess I get it. Yeah, I have no idea. I no idea how that works. But anytime I have watched uh, Tom Osborne talk to anybody for any reason, it I I just get this sense that he talks to you very much so as an equal. And mm-hmm. I don't think I don't think Tom takes himself seriously. And he's very, very humble. And so when he's talking to anybody, Mm -hmm. I think he just treats them as he wishes to be treated. So that's. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And and, and I know Mickey's going to absolutely lean on him over the next 10 to 12 weeks uh, for any advice that he needs. 
dealing with what's on his plate because uh, Tom didn't have to coach in the Big Ten. It's a totally different animal, and Mickey has to. So, yep. Why don't we wrap up the press conference coverage? Sorry, yep. folks. We've been doing this for 45 minutes almost now. Um, somebody asked Mickey specifically about how he felt about being qualified for this position. So Mickey, as anybody would do in that situation, listed his resume. And quite frankly, I think it says a lot about who he is as a coach. Well, I think if, if you look at my resume, I've been on every level, NAIA, D2, FCS, HBCU, you know, group of five, power five. So I got an opportunity to be under a lot of head coaches, a lot of real good head coaches. So it prepare you for this moment and it, that when you do get this opportunity, that it's not too big for you. But at the end of the day, I have to be myself. And that's who I am. You know, I am and this is who I am. And I'm going to be the same person I was. And I depend on relationships with the kids. And I, it depends on and I tell them that I'm going to be truthful with them. And that's how I survived in this profession. Amen to that. And you know what? If you need any evidence as to whether or not Mickey Joseph is true to himself and true to who he is as a coach, all you have to do is look at the wide receiver room and look at their production this year. They have been as productive as the wide receivers have been since Stanley Morgan was catching passes from Adrian Martinez in 2018. We haven't seen the the level of consistency from these wide receivers uh, without Mickey Joseph. Uh, these guys are incredible. They they have played tenacious. They don't do a lot of showboating like their counterparts on the other side of the ball. Uh, they just they just get the job done. And I think um, I think his resume speaks to that. That he has always been about getting the job done and moving on to the next job. And everybody has recognized that. And then all he did was coach the best wide receivers. In many cases, in my opinion, the best group of wide receivers to ever win a national championship at LSU back in 2019. And now he's here heading up the show. And I have a whole lot of confidence that all the things that he learned from all those years and all the levels, he's going to put to use now. Uh, So what do you think? I think it's. I think. I think he really puts forward a, a compelling resume. Um, does he have any head coaching experience? No. But everybody's got to start somewhere. And it, I hate to admit this as a Nebraska fan, but Nebraska isn't what it used to be, nope. and it has a long way to go. We are statistically bottom of the barrel in the Big Ten right now. And so, if you think of a Brett Belima going to Illinois, or you think of a uh, Tom Herman going to Indiana, mm-hmm. or you think of a uh, uh, before um, uh, shoot, oh shoot, oh uh, shoot, uh, the what Mel team? Tucker, Mel Tucker, yeah, yeah, um, you know, before Mel Tucker, you know, every one of those coaches that worked their way up the Big Ten, they all started somewhere. Yes, Brett Belima start or not started, but he worked at Wisconsin and then yeah. and then ended up at Illinois. But he's doing good things there. And everybody had their humble beginnings. And this is just the humble beginnings of Mickey Joseph. And we're going to see how that comes to fruition or whether or not it does. Um, Sure. And I think that this is a great starting point because you are getting the most raw organization you possibly can. 
every mm-hmm. the sky's the limit because everything is so down right now. I knock on wood. I mean, you gotta yeah. go up. You have to go up from here. Yeah. I don't think it can get any worse. But then again, I've been saying that for four years, four and a half years now. So, <laughs> so, so what you're saying is that Mickey Joseph is fixing to mix some raw sugar with this. You're all about the raw sugar Mickey Joseph Kool-Aid, aren't you? And I yes. am too, but yeah. The, the good, <laughs> the good, good Husker Kool-Aid. No, I'm not going to be drinking that. Um, no, but, no, I got you. <laughs> but, uh, oh man. I couldn't resist. Good. I had to throw that, that in there good. somewhere. I just had to do it. Um, well. No, no, that was perfect. I, I, I really... I, I, I think that Mickey Joseph has got a decent resume. Is it mm-hmm. is it out of this world? No, but is it is it above average? Yes. I mean, he absolutely brought stupid amounts of firepower to LSU. Like sure. that's that's I mean, of course you had just an an electric Joe Burrow, but Joe Burrow wouldn't have been Joe Burrow without, you know, the wide receivers room with Jamar Chase and, and et cetera. So, yep. um, you know, the guy knows what a winning team is compiled of. So we'll see how he puts it all together, but I think I he's got a good agree. I completely agree. Well, I say we need to move on to the first game that Mickey is going to coach as our interim head coach, and that would be against a team that made sure he couldn't play again for the rest of his life, and that would be OU. So there you go, the Oklahoma preview. You threw some uh, stats out there, so why don't you go ahead and preview this Oklahoma team for us? All right, so this is going to be obviously the biggest game of the year. Arguably, I think Northwestern was the biggest game before OU, but OU really takes precedence over that. Um, They're coming in with a decent amount of firepower. Uh, Did they have an overly impressive game against uh, UTEP or Kent State? Maybe not particularly. Um, But let's just look at the stats, some some standout stats, um, or just general stats with a few standout stats in there. Comparative to Nebraska, let's just get this out of the way. Comparative to Nebraska, they've only played two games, whereas we've played three, so we have a larger pool of stats. So it's a little bit askew, so I'll try and you know bridge the gap between that. But one thing that can't be ignored is the fact that Dylan Gabriel, the quarter, the starting quarterback for Oklahoma, has a 70.6% completion percentage, um, which is really high. Like That is a really good uh, completion percentage. With 529 total yards of passing, uh, with around a 10.4 average, along a 58, which of course these are kind of synonymous with the wide receivers room, um, which I'll get into. But he's got five total touchdowns um, in the passing game. On the rushing side of things, they have 393 total rushing yards across two games and around a 5.3 average yards per carry. Uh, A long of 46, but that came from a wide receiver, I assume was probably some sort of, you know. End around or something. End around. But out of the running back room, um, they got a 44-yard long. Uh, Five touchdowns in the running room. 
Top back is obviously Eric Gray between two games. He had 173 yards with a 6.7 yards per carry average. Has no touchdowns though yet, Uh, but that's mostly askew because Marcus Major, which is their second back, has 92 yards, 7.7 yards per carry average with three touchdowns. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I I imagine that when they're in the red zone, they – I. Didn't look at the weight. I'm assuming Marcus is probably a little bit of a bigger back um, at that goal line set, most likely. Um, At receiving, at the receiving room, they have 529 total yards, as I stated before with the quarterback. Um, They have five touchdowns, or I guess I already did those stats. So same stats as the quarterback, uh, 58-yard long, five touchdowns. Top wide receiver is obviously... Marvin Mims, he looks mm-hmm. good this year. Between two yeah. games, he's got 10 receptions for 244 yards. That means that it's a 24.4 yards average per reception with that 58-yard long and two touchdowns. So Marvin Mims is going to definitely be a troublesome character for our secondary. I think um, he was last year too. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, he was. He was. Um, or maybe he was a non factor. There was one guy out of their wide receiver room that we made a non factor, which was kind of surprising. And I want to say it was Marvin Mims or it was Could've that been. other guy. Yeah. Um, I don't remember who the other guy was. But out of speaking of others, we've got, I, I didn't obviously tell every single story of every single player because that would just be long winded. But other guys we got to right. keep in mind is Theo Weiss, uh, Drake Stoops. And Braden Willis, those are the top four wide receivers on their chart. Um, Drake Stoops, obviously being relative, is that the son of of Mark or Bob Stoops? Is that is that the thing? Okay, well he's got a touchdown. Drake Stoops has got a touchdown. Uh, you know, between those three guys, we Stoops and Nephew, Willis, they've something like that. Yep. Yeah, some family, some some relative of some sort. Between. Between Wee Stoops and Willis, they've got about 175, 180 yards between the three of them. So pretty mm-hmm. sizable in their wide receiver room, which goes uh, in tandem with the fact that Dylan Gabriel is a pretty good quarterback for them so far. Um, yeah. Just transfer on, me from uh, UCF, right? Yes. Yes. Transfer yep. from UCF. God, that's um, not weird. Yeah, I know. That's <laughs> small world, I guess. I'm pretty um, sure he was recruited by Frost before he left to come here. Yeah, pretty sure. I, I remember seeing that so, in the, yeah. uh, recruiting circles. But uh, that that pretty much covers the offense. Dad, is there anything out of all of these stats that concern you the most and things that you feel like we might be able to have an advantage over, at, if any at all, with our defense? Nope. <laughs> Not based on what we saw last week. I mean, no. you've got to figure OU's offensive line is better um, than what we saw from Georgia Southern. Mm-hmm. You've got to figure their quarterback is obviously better, and we have to figure in the quarterback run into the into the uh, situation because other than that last touchdown, Georgia Southern's quarterback didn't run the ball at all. Not at all. So – you know Dylan's going to run probably eight to ten times in this game, so that scares me, especially with the ability or non-ability to fill the gap uh, for this defense. So, and it's going to it's going to uh, really the quarterback run scares the living shit out of me. Um, and yeah, 
393 total yards rushing in two games against two teams that aren't quite what Nebraska is, well, supposed to be, but maybe Nebraska's not all that good on defense. So, yeah, I'm scared on all three sides of the defense, the the line of scrimmage, the linebacker level, and the uh, defensive backs. I'm worried. I'm I was really, going to say, and that maybe moving, I, maybe moving Shenander to where he's only going to be responsible for coordinating the defense and paying attention to the safeties is going to help with some of those run fits. But damn, damn, we really miss, we really miss Nick Hendrick. I mean, yeah. he missed a lot of tackles against Northwestern, but uh, we really miss him. I'm, so. I'm I was gonna. I was gonna say. I think you're onto something with that quarterback run thing because, as of right now, Dylan Gabriel has ten attempts for ten yards, and the reason why that scares me is because they if didn't need I him to run, if well, they don't need him to run, and if there's anything our defense has proven that they've been able to do is that if there's something that they're not prepared to do, that's exactly what our opposing team is going to do. If we're looking at just those stats, yeah, and I'm not an, a competent defensive coordinator, I would look at that and be like, non-factor. Don't worry about the quarterback run. You know, I doubt they would say something like that. But good God, like if if that's if that's a stat line that is non-existent in their first two games against UTEP and Kent State, you know for a fact it's going to be a stat line for Nebraska. I I would not be surprised if Dylan Gabriel finishes the day with around 60 yards of rushing and all of them being need to get third down need to get fourth down some sort of key moment that we need to, we desperately need to stop and and we are not keyed up ready for a quarterback run. I think that's, I think you're onto something there. Um, Could be. I don't, I, I hope I'm wrong. I really do. I hope I'm wrong because you know, we didn't expect Casey to run the ball for what seven times for thirty-two yards and three touchdowns. No, none of us expected that. And I think Dylan Gabriel is a way better runner than Casey is. He just didn't need to. No, he really didn't need to. Why? Why run him if you don't need to? You're going to need to run him this week. Yes, but then again, maybe you don't. Just hand the damn ball off and. Whoever's playing middle linebacker at Nebraska ain't going to be able to make the tackle anyway. Yep. <laughs> I hate to be that guy, but at the same time, it's like, well, shit, why not? Why not gap I mean, us? Healthy. Why not make a safety, make a decision, a linebacker, figure out what damn gap they're supposed to fill? Because we still haven't figured that out for three games. So I don't know. I don't know. That's what scares me. Quarterback run. And if that goes, Everything else goes. Everything else goes. And Nebraska doesn't stay within three touchdowns of OU. So, uh, God, I hate being that guy. But then again, Frost ain't pulling the levers this week. So you never know. You never know what Mickey and Eric are going to come up with to figure out how to stop what OU is going to do. You can't. um, You can't take away the idea of motivation for the team and um, shit. I'll ride with Casey all day. He's had three interceptions in his first three games. That's one per game. He didn't have any last week. I know 
Georgia Southern isn't a good defense, but damn, if he needed to, Casey put the ball where it needed to be. So, and I, I, I love this wide receiver group. I love how they're coached. I love how they play. I love the way Anthony and uh, AJ play. And who knows, maybe Gabe Irvin comes in somewhere in the middle of the second quarter and rips off a 60-yard run like he should have against OU last year before his knee buckled on him because he was going for at least 50 that day. You know. Oh, yeah. Who knows? He had so much maybe Mickey's going to light a fire under Donovan Raiola and go, we didn't hire you for your god dang fucking nephew, dude. Go out and coach some goddamn O-line. Go make <laughs> these dudes knock some people on their ass. To hell with this zone blocking shit. Just go knock some people over. That's all we want. Just knock some people over. That's what we used to do. Knock people over. And maybe we win the time of possession game. Just like uh, North Dakota did a couple weeks ago. Which keeps us in the game. Keeps us in the game. Anyway, that was a long answer to a short question. Sorry. (laughs) So their offense. um, Their offense, based on just stats, even though it looks... Good. It is between two games against two subpar opponents. Is UTEP a good team? Eh, we'll see. Um, usually those Texas teams tend to be a little bit dark horsey sometimes. Um, Kent State, non-factor. But if you look at their games between UTEP and, and Kent State, so UTEP, they beat them 45-13. to 13. Mm-hmm. Not exactly an impressive final score against a, a, a team that is now 0-2. And UTEP played who? And who did they lose against? They lost against North Texas. They lost against uh, right. Oklahoma. And then they won against New Mexico State 20-13. to 13. So that tells me that they are not a very great team. And the fact that Oklahoma and their explosive offense was only able to put up 45. Okay, maybe they were putting in their twos and their threes. I don't know. But... The game that really kind of highlights maybe their offense isn't necessarily what it's chalked up to be is their Kent State game. They beat them 33 to 3. And okay, that's a that's almost a blowout pretty much. But if you consider the fact that 24 of their 33 points were scored in the thor- in the third quarter and they only got one first half touchdown and then the game ended with a safety where a quarterback ran out of the back of the end zone, Something about 28 to three. Yeah. Yeah. Something about their offense kind of strikes me as, Hmm, maybe they're getting their legs. Maybe they're playing conservative and vanilla against teams that they know they can beat. That's entirely a possibility. But if you are trying to make your resume statement as a potential college football playoff team, don't you want to just blow these dudes out of the water? Don't you want to bring your a game? Absolutely. And so the fact that they didn't Whoa. necessarily have convincing wins against these two teams kind of makes me go, you know, there is a potential that their offense isn't as explosive as we think. Yes, you've got Marvin Mims. Do I think he's explosive? Yes. Do I think Eric Gray's explosive? Yes. But is the full culminating package an explosive, blow the wheels off type of offense? I don't know. Doesn't look like it to me at this point. Probably not. Probably not as explosive as it was last year with Spencer Rattler and all the players on that offense last year. Because some of them are sitting at USC now. So you're probably right. 
you're probably uh, this could be a game that Nebraska could stay in for two and a half quarters. Um, unless OU completely implodes because they haven't been tested yet by a team that's freaking pissed off about the first three weeks of their season. They haven't been tested yet. So you don't yeah. know. And there's I, a lot I was, of, there, there's, there's a thing that you could also consider that, okay, their offense hasn't really looked overly impressive. And then you couple that with the fact that they're looking at our defense. And if, and if I wasn't a potentially great team per se, mm-hmm. I would look at our defense and not even think twice about it. That gives our defense a massive advantage because they're not going to, they're not going to be expecting anything from us. I mean, last year we gave them, we gave them a run for their money, but if I'm an overly confident OU team that looks at Nebraska, that just fired their head coach, that has an interim head coach, that their defense still has the same defensive coordinator and they're still a garbage team, I'm going to overlook Nebraska. Upset alert. Ten years of making a difference. It's an honor to be able to work with Team Jack to help tell Lamaya story, to tell him that we need money for cures. And without them, we wouldn't be able to do that. For 10 years, Nebraska has stepped up to fight pediatric brain cancer. And the fight continues later this month. And it's just opening people's eyes to pediatric brain tumor. The 10th annual Team Jack Radiothon, September 29th, all across Nebraska. You never know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. know. That's, That's me speaking from potential, like positive to look at. But that's pretty much... That's pretty much where that ends because we, if we go to look at their defense, they have out of their top tackler, they've got Danny Stutzman. He's a linebacker, six foot four, 238 pounds. He's definitely going to get potentially a first round draft pick because he's a beast. He's got yep. 21 total tackles, 15 solo. In two games. In 21 two tackles games. in two games. Yep. And 15 against, of them were solo. Yeah. Against, against, yes, yeah, subpar opponents, but. He's got one sack and two pass deflections. I mean, just the eyeball test when you see him, like I watched highlights of these games, spent a little bit of time. He's all over the damn place. Right. If, if he if he wasn't the one making the solo tackle, he was charged up right, right behind somebody ready to be an assist. So he's just all over the damn place. And then their top sack, the top sack production comes from Reggie Grimes, their defensive lineman. He's 273 pounds. He's got four sacks. Five solo tackles, ten total, with one that forced he's fumble. Quick. If he's that small and he's getting four sacks, he's quick as hell. Yep. Which has been the Achilles' heel for this offensive line is somebody small exactly. and quick. Exactly. You you said yep. exactly what I was going to say because it's like that's yes, he's a little bit smaller, but five or four sacks. I mean, hell, that's isn't that the same amount that our team has total right now? Yeah, out of three probably. games. Yeah. Yep. So then their top defender is Justin Harrington. He's one of their defensive backs, six foot three, 208 pounds. He's got one interception for 22 yards return on that interception, four solo tackles and seven out of seven total tackles. And I thought I, I thought he had pass deflections. Maybe not Um, freak athlete. I'm going to butcher this name here. David. (laughs) David. Oh, Agwogbu, Agwogbu, we'll go. Agwogbu, Agwogbu, I think that's how you say it. Agwogbu, Agwogbu, yeah, okay, that works. He's a freak. 
he passes the eye test. You see him, he's all over the damn field. Um, guys love him. People talk about him in the YouTube comments and on Reddit and stuff. Like, I can't yep. wait for him to really take off. It looks like he's just been right behind everybody else, uh, just ready to make a move. Um, yeah, he he's got this offense yet, though. So. No, he hasn't. Um, so he's got he six solo tried tackles. To tackle Anthony Grant yet. So, yep. Uh, anyway, I'm not going to go over his stats there. I mean, he's got a sack. That's that's the notable that's the notable stat. As a team, as a whole, they have two forced fumbles with one of them that they were able to recover, two interceptions, nine sacks, nine pass deflections, and one safety. Granted, they didn't tackle him in the end zone, but they forced him out. So mm-hmm. that's one safety, which if there's uh, anything that Nebraska has experienced in the last few years, it's, the it's fact getting that a few safeties, getting a few safeties. <laughs> At least it's um, not on special teams this year, though, no. so far, so far. So <laughs> compiling all that together, they I mean, they've got a kicker. I was going to write it down, but I mean, he's 10 for 10 on a, on his uh, extra points and he's got two field right. goals, but his longest field goal he's had to make is 25 yards. So not really much to interpret out of that. Um, yeah. So that, that breaks down Oklahoma as a whole. They are damn, they're, they're damn good team. They're a damn good team. Are they national championship contention team? I don't know. No. Based on the eye test. No, not looking like it. Maybe in two um, years when the playoff expands, this team would be a national championship contender, but not this year. But one thing that is damn certain is that they are going to contend with Nebraska and they're most likely going to win. But they're, like I said earlier, there are a few things that you can look at and see potential holes that could be exploited by competent coaching staff. Um, and we'll just see mm-hmm. how it plays out. Um I, I do want me to go over Nebraska key stats. I mean, pretty much anybody could, could find these. I mean, I mean, I'll just go over it real quickly. Obviously we know about Grant go and ahead. Allen. Yep. Go Grant ahead. and Allen, electric players. Um, they average 203 yards per game, 5.1 yards per carry. Um, I mean, between Grant the has two of them. Yep. between the two of them, between the two of them, 142 yards average per game for Grant. Um, Thompson yep. is looking pretty serviceable. Um, the, the one thing that is still kind of a blemish when I look at is that he's got an ev- a fairly even touchdown to interception ratio and he's gotten sacked, unfortunately seven times because of our damn offense, but he does have four rushing touchdowns. Um, yeah, it's, he's got uh, what, four passing touchdowns too. Yeah, he's got four passing touchdowns, four Four passing touchdowns, four rushing touchdowns, and three interceptions. So an eight Um, to three. All right. Seven sacks, though. That's not on him. Um, No, yeah, that's exactly what I was saying. That's not his fault. That's his offensive line. Um, Yeah, and then you look at our wide receiver room, 14 yards average per reception, four touchdowns between all of our wide receivers and tight ends. Mm -hmm. Our top two are obviously statistically Trey Palmer and Marcus Washington because they've got 400 and 12 reception yards between the two of them. That's that's half of the overall reception yards for our yep. for our offense. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, but unfortunately, the thing one of them has got to score a touchdown here because neither one of them have a touchdown reception yet. Um, they've got 28 receptions between the two of them. In the hunt to be a, a standout wide receiver is obviously IGC. Alante Brown and you know the replacement for Travis Volkolek. You've got Nate Borkacher. I mean he's, he's got he's, a touchdown. IGC has a touchdown. So yep. yeah. 
And my yep. question is, do you think that Vokalek will be Ooh. ready for Oklahoma? I think they've been holding him, hoping that he would be. I don't know, and I don't think you're going to get an answer until kickoff. I don't think you're going to get an answer. Um, I don't think Mickey's going to be as secretive, but at the same time, there's some game gamesmanship that I think Mickey's going to play with OU specifically so that they don't know if uh Vocalex ready to go. God almighty, if he's ready to go, that changes everything OU does on defense, everything because Vocalex is dangerous in that first seven to eight yards behind the line of scrimmage uh, yeah. because he's six, seven, six, eight or whatever it is. You can throw that ball way above a linebacker and he's going to go get it. And, you know, that's 12, 15 yards every time if you do that. So totally changes their defense. Um, I hope he's ready. I really do. I hope he's ready. If anything, not only because he's so damn valuable, but that mullet needs to be on national TV more. Yes. It's a glorious mullet and it needs to be on TV. (laughs) It does. It does. I, I really hope that he can be back. I mean, obviously they're pretty, they're pretty just, they give the same answer every single time he's day to day, day to day. That's how it is. Same thing with, uh, with Nick Henry, Same with, you know? Yeah. Henrik. Yeah. And just he's got a big ass cast on his arm. So it's way more than day to day, but you know, that's what they do. That's what they do. I, I sure hope so. And, and I, yes, you met you, you, you spoke my mind there. It's, he is a weapon that we need to be able to utilize for Oklahoma. If, if we can take any advantage that we can, Vokalek is definitely a, a sizable addition to that. Advantage. If you want Trey Palmer and Marcus Washington catch a touchdown, there has to be a threat in the middle of the field. Yep. And we don't really have one from a slot receiver except IGC. Sometimes, but for the most part, that big dude in the middle that looks like he's blocking and then releases makes a big difference and makes the outside that much more open. And if you've got guys like Anthony Grant and uh, AJ Allen that can make holes where they're not any, it's going to help a lot too. So exactly. makes the play action that much more effective. So it does. And I think, I think, the, go ahead. I, yeah. I was just going to say, I think Borkature is a good substitute. Yes. He's only got two receptions for 32 yards with one touchdown. One of them is a touchdown. One of them is a touchdown. I think a lot of that has to do with trust from his quarterback. You know, like you've got to earn that dependability. And I think if, 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 if Vokalek isn't going to be ready to go for maybe a few more weeks going into, let's say Indiana, you know, that trust, if there's any time to have mm-hmm. it, it's going to obviously be this week. So um, let me ask you a question. What's up? Just real quick. What are your odds that Casey Thompson, as a former Texas quarterback, makes it out of this game with OU without getting hurt? I don't like that question. Um, <laughs> I'm not even going to I'm not even going to entertain that. <laughs> I know. I'm just saying <laughs> those guys are going to hate seeing him in Nebraska red in some ways more than they hated seeing him in, in Texas orange. Cause he knew, you know, they knew all they had to do was outscore those guys. Cause that defense sucked. Maybe our defense sucks as bad, but 
you got to figure they're going to be pinning the ears back and coming at him. Oh yeah. So, oh, and yeah. they know, and let's be honest, as bad as that O-line for Texas was, it ain't quite what this Nebraska O-line is this year. So yeah. granted new O-line coach, new scheme, new everything. And who knows? Maybe they're holding some shit back for this game that none of us have seen yet. I just don't know. I just don't know. I, I fear know. for Casey Thompson's safety. Thank God the last couple of weeks he's shown that he can get out of trouble and run a little bit. But Georgia Southern speed ain't OU speed. So maybe maybe Donna him. maybe Donovan Riola just is going to pull like a, a rabbit out of his hat and it's going to be like, oh, surprise! Our our offensive line is actually really good, <laughs> and the only reason why it was bad was because Frost got too drunk to uh, go see my <laughs> nephew. From golfing, okay. I was like, "I'm getting okay. this man. I'm getting this man's fired." <laughs> rumor mill, rumor mill, rumor uh, mill. Ooh, oops, did I say that? <laughs> I don't uh, know. He had anyway. a lot of hobbies, though. You know, because Trev mentioned that he wanted a coach without a whole lot of hobbies. Um, yep. Anyway, anyway, <laughs> defense. So. <laughs> On on our defense, we have a pretty wide dispersion of tackle tackles um, right. across the board. Uh, yeah, I mean, you go down the list, and our top our top ten tacklers between three games all have shared ten tackles at least. But our top right. five are Luke Reimer, Isaac Gifford, Miles Farmer, Marquise Buford Jr., and O'Shawn Mathis, which. As much as from the eye test, I don't think I've seen O'Shawn that much. It's actually quite refreshing to see how many times he's actually on the stat line. In on a, lot, yep. a lot of it has to do with the fact that he's only had five solo tackles, but he's shared 17 total. So a lot of the time he's there, but he's just there with somebody else. So yep. that's good. Um, but yeah, Luke Reimer has taken, taken the field with... Uh, 28 total tackles, uh, nine solo, and he has one pass deflection thrown in there. But yeah, you've got you got a pretty sizable group there that may have a little bit better of a, a day. Don't know. We'll see. But uh, my questions <laughs> for the for the defense specifically as a whole is: uh, Will Mathis, Nelson, and Tanner have a better game? Does Nick Henrik play? And if not, can Houseman? get a better feel for the game. I know it's a combination of questions, but they kind of all have a relation to each other. No, no. And I haven't a fucking clue. That's my three answers. Salty, real salty. (laughs) I don't know. I think Nelson, I, I think Hausman gets better with experience as every player, his age will, cause he's what 18. Um, and just started his last two games. Um, I think he gets better with experience, but OU's a different experience. Um, even so though they're speed. completely revamping the offense that they're running now, which is completely different than it was last year. Who knows? Maybe this will be a defensive struggle. I don't know. But I don't see Mathis, Nelson, or Tanner going up against an offensive line for OU that granted is pieced together a little bit um, and doing better than they did against a group of five team in Georgia Mm -hmm. Southern. I just, I just don't see it. 
unless, like you said, there's been some stuff that's been held back. But why? No, why would you hold back anything if you're one and one going into Georgia Southern? Why the fuck would you even think it's smart to hold something back? Makes oh yeah, no, no sense. that was that was a joke. There was no seriousness in there. And I, don't I, think- I I answer the exact same questions. Those the same way that you answered the questions. There is no way of knowing. Um, the only reason why I asked it is because that is going to determine throughout hmm. the rest of the season if we can even compete. Because Mathis, Nelson, and Tanner have to get better. Nick has to heal up. And if if Nick can't, then Houseman needs to get Houseman his crap. has to be able to wrap he people up and know where to fill. He has to figure it out. So this this is like this is like the single most important thing for our defensive coaches to figure out is how do I make these guys a factor when they were supposed to be? They were supposed to be factors. And the fact that you know, the, the running question was, is O'Shawn Mathis going to be able to compete in the Big Ten? It's like, mm-hmm. well, maybe. I mean, yeah, he, he potentially could. But we've we've played only one Big Ten team so far, and he was a non-factor. Based on, based on the eye test, non-factor. Stat line, little Against bit of one of the worst offensive lines in the Big Ten last year, save one player. He was a non-factor. Yep. So those are yep. just those questions, and we pretty much have the same thoughts on it. Um, and then the last question for our defense, and you already alluded to it right at the beginning of the episode, <laughs> what would be the quickest and easiest thing for our defense to fix right now? Tackling. Tackling? You think it's tackling? I, I think there's, what, 20? There was 29 missed tackles. Dudes that were there to make a tackle in the first two games. I don't know how many were missed against Georgia Southern. I'm guessing at least 10, 12 more. So that would put you at that 40 missed tackle range in three games. 40 missed tackles in three games. You fix that, maybe you're winning Northwestern by 7 to 10 points. Maybe you're 3-0. and Maybe Scott Frost is still employed. Hmm. <clears throat> But you fix the tackling, you fix a lot. And I think, like Mickey said in his press conference, we talked about it earlier, that the thing he talked about to Chins about was we're going to tackle every day in practice. We're just going to tackle. It's muscle memory, man. You, you got to, when the live bullets are flying and you haven't seen a whole lot of damn live bullets, it's hard to, hard to do what you need to do. And, um, yeah, you fix the tackling. There's a lot of stuff that gets fixed because there's guys that have been there. You, you've got positioning mentioned and angles mentioned. There were guys that had angles to make a tackle and they didn't. Mm. There were guys yep. that were in yep. position to make a tackle and they got run over. Is that is a, is that a strength and conditioning thing? Is that a not doing it enough in practice thing. I don't know. But what we do know is that Mickey Joseph is going to make an emphasis on doing that in practice every day. That means a lot. That means at least the thing he sees is wrong is going to at least be addressed right up from the get-go. Angles, yeah. Those big plays that that Georgia Southern hit us with, that um, 
Northwestern hit us with, and even got on that freaking 60 some odd yard run that North Dakota hit us with that North Dakota should never hit us with was all about an angle or a run fit um, and communication. You know, I, I think you're dead right on all those bullet points, but it starts once the guy's there and the dude's there to take to the ground, you got to take the son bitch to the ground. You just do. You can't let him run you over. So maybe that has to do with angle. Maybe that has to do with positioning, whatever. Bottom line is we got to tackle somebody. Period. No, I'm in complete agreement because I was going to say tackling, but I really wanted to know what your logic was behind it. Um, Is it the quickest thing to fix? I don't know. I don't know what it's like when you're sitting in, in 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 a conference room looking at slides and and getting the X's and O's figured out and then going out onto the field and practicing angles and reading the offense mm-hmm. and understanding what proper communication methods are to be done and where you're supposed to be out on the field. Those are all important things, but kind of like, ah, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase this quote, but it's like, if you're going to make a mistake where you're out on the field or how you communicate at the right. very least, when it comes down to tackling, you better make sure you can at least tackle. Like it's, it's, it's not good. It's not good to be out of position. It's not good. If you don't know how to read the offense, it's not good. If you're not getting the right angles, it's not good. If you aren't good at communicating, but when it comes down to it, the the thing you need to know how to do is tackle first and foremost, yep. because if you got the wrong angle, if you, you know, all those things I just listed, I'm not going to, I'm not going to waste my breath. When it comes down <laughs> to you are faced feet away from a guy that's got the football running in your direction you should just know how to tackle the guy. If you make contact, that some bitch should be on the ground. Exactly. Period. If you make contact, he should be on the ground. And so I think I think you that tackling that it's it's way better for the is, is is yep. tackling the quickest and easiest thing? Is it the most expedient? No, actually. I think that tackling is probably a fairly difficult thing to 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 conceptualize. I imagine it is. And the thing that I think is 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 important about tackling is that sometimes things that are expedient aren't what's necessary for the moment. And I would rather them sacrifice everything else, put everything on the back burner for now. If you're in the wrong position, okay, we'll deal with that later. Make the damn tackle. That's yep. that's the most important thing right now. I don't give a flying fart in space about anything else right now learn how to freaking tackle um so that yep. that was that was my answer which pretty much coincides with your answer and that pretty much wraps up breaking down our offense and defense their offense and defense and that basically moves us to the creme de la creme the mm-hmm. crux of our conversation and prediction we've got score predictions dad why don't you kick it off and give us your logic behind your score prediction? Well, here's the deal. Nebraska is an underdog by 13 and a half points. And I think that's a pretty good, pretty good number. Number one, because Oklahoma's head coach has never been a head coach before, which, you know, everybody would say, uh, you know, that's bad. That's not good. 
He's never played in a tough game as a head coach before, blah, 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 blah. Problem is, it's Brett freaking Venables, who's played in every tough game possible. He has, there's no offense he hasn't seen. Um, there's no offense he does not know how to defend, except for, well, you know, USC in 2004. Uh, because <laughs> that Orange Bowl was glorious. I hated OU back then. Um, and that that was painful for them because I think that was the first or second year that Brent Menables was a defensive coordinator and Bo Pelini was his associate defensive coordinator. So there were a lot of uh, roosters trying to control the hen house <laughs> and all they did was screw each other. Um, <laughs> 45 is the spread. I'm thinking the, I think Oklahoma covers it 45 31 by pulling away in the last nine to 10 minutes in the game. I think Nebraska plays them close for three quarters and then OU's just supreme talent and experience at head coach, even though he's not been a head coach, he's an experienced coach is going to outlast whatever emotion and stuff that Nebraska is going to be riding with Mickey Joseph as their coach. So that's what I've got. 45, 31, OU. All right. So how about you? The way that I look at it, I see it being a really weird game. I I see it as like in the first quarter, OU pretty much goes up on Nebraska right away. I I think that they're probably up on a something like 17 to 7, 17 to 3 maybe. And then getting close closer to halftime, Nebraska kind of gets their feel on offense. They start to kind of okay. get their get their juices flowing and going into halftime, I see it actually being 24 to 17 OU where Nebraska kind of starts making making their buttholes pucker up a little bit. But then going <laughs> into the third quarter and the fourth quarter, I think that's when our defense kind of kind of lays an egg and I think that going into the fourth quarter it's probably going to be something like a like a like a 41 to 24 maybe even 41 to 17 that OU really separates themselves from us going into the fourth quarter and so you've got this back and forth OU gets up on us then we kind of catch up with them then OU separates again and then at the end of the game, right. our guys do not give up. And we go down the field, you know, one or two more times. And I see it being a little bit closer than what you're predicting. It's going to be 41 to 31 OU. So at the 10 point difference um, with OU. So Nebraska eight. makes a comeback in the fourth quarter is what you're thinking. I don't want to say a comeback, but they don't give up. They don't give okay. up. They don't get close, but they don't give up. You know, ten point ten point loss isn't necessarily getting close, um, but I I just see it as as one of those quote unquote moral victories where you see a team, <laughs> yeah, where where you see a team even though all the odds are against them and they really get behind. Where we've seen in the past, teams give up. And then they just get blown out 63 to 17 or something crazy like that. Um, right. I I see them continuing, continuing to claw away all the way up, even when they know that 
there's not much they can do. They're still going to go down the field and try and score with, you know, a few minutes left, even though they're down 17. Um, that's what okay. I see. I see that as being, we're going to get a, a moral victory. I know Husker nation is tired of hearing that shit, but if there's <laughs> any, if there's anything that I could see being a difference in this new regime of, of, of Mickey Joseph kind of making a resume is that he needs to show Trev Alberts first and foremost, that his guys are behind him. And sure. I think that that would be a, a great result. I think that sure. would be fine. So 41, 31, OU, not necessarily a heartbreak. It's kind of expected, but it should be a fun game to watch and watch our guys claw their way to sure. some form of, of a comeback. Well, you know what? We're both going to be there. So yep. here's hoping because my first game in Memorial Stadium ever was Oklahoma in 1995. My prayer is that you and I both get to experience the same exquisite joy that I experienced that day at, in, in a Nebraska win. Neither one of us think that thinks that that is going to happen, but any given Saturday, right? Any given Saturday, something could go crazy. The, the ball bounces Nebraska's way because you know, Scott Frost isn't on the sidelines and the football gods have said, okay, dude, you're gone. We're not going to rain out a game anymore. You're going to actually start winning some shit here and there. You can follow us at Gen Red Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Make sure you like, subscribe, and share our podcast by looking for Generation Red on your favorite podcast app. And until next time, Scott and I, we're both Generation Red. We're both Husker fans until the day we die. And no matter what anybody outside of this state tells you, there's no place like Nebraska. Iowa's corn sucks and go Big Red. Yes, it does. Iowa's corn absolutely sucks. But I'm not going to say that on this podcast anymore. Well, You keep saying that. (laughs) But, you know, (laughs) nobody sees it now, especially not Jeffrey. Love you, JTG. See you next week, folks.